right. Well, today on the Plant Cunning Podcast, we are excited to have mycologist and herbal clinician and author, botanist, Christopher Hobbs. So how are you doing today, Christopher? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, it's, um, we have a, a beautiful day. <clears throat> and after two months of grueling hot weather, even 110, it got up to 110 and like 90 degrees at, at uh, 11 o'clock at night which is pretty unusual for us, even though it is hot. At wow. least my watermelons did really well. So I, I've been growing watermelons this year. And the, well, every year, they're, they're so exciting. I love growing watermelons. Probably yeah. Thing to grow. Mm-hmm. And really diving yeah. into a good watermelon, you can't beat that. Yeah, so good. It's interesting to see like what thrives in the really hot drought years and, you know, what doesn't um, do so well. Yeah, but we had, you know, the big fire. We had a big mm-hmm. mosquito fire. So the, the air quality was like 500 and it was 110 out. That, that doesn't make for a good evening, really right. does And tell our listeners where you're calling in from. Yeah, I'm, I'm calling in from Placerville out in the countryside. California. It's an old farming valley where pears, they used to grow pears. Mm. And um, so I've got two acres and I grow a lot of native plants and uh, Mediterranean herbs, my whole front yard. It's filled up with Mediterranean herbs of every kind that you can imagine. And um, yeah, putting more trees in. And it's just really a beautiful place. Have you gotten out to do any good hikes this summer? Well, yes, we, um, you know, that's one reason why I moved up here from Davis. I lived in Davis where the university is. And that's an hour away from from Berkeley, the Bay Area, which I love Berkeley. That's where I, you know, I went to school. Hmm. And, and the Bay Area. And I do like going over there. And I, I've been in the Bay Area a lot of my adult life, but it's just so crowded and crazy now. And, and so it's, and Berg and Davis down in the valley, the Central Valley, it's, uh, it's rather polluted. It's not really very, very good air. It's a bowl, you know, and so, and there's lots of pesticides and farms mm-hmm. and, yeah. and the water table is not, you know, it's got chromium 24. I mean, uh, Let's see, lithium 24 in it or chromium, no, oh, chromium, no. chromium 24. So it's, it's not a, exactly a pristine environment down there, as you can imagine, with all these farms and pesticides and dust and cars, millions of cars drive by every day. So we, I moved up here at 1,600 feet, and That's it's nice. only an hour from the high Sierra. So I'm, mm. you know, I can get up to the high country and really enjoy it up there and, and so fresh and wonderful up there, 8,000 feet. And yeah, we had a big morale bloom this year. So nice. Uh, big, big. Best. Yeah. Morels are so months, months, yeah. months, months of picking morels because oh, of the wow. giant fires. Yeah. Okay. I guess that's one upside. Uh, hey, you know, everything in life has a silver lining. Yeah, absolutely. And morels are very silver. <laughs> That's a silver lining. Yeah, I dried down a bunch and they were really awesome. thick, thick walled greenies. They were so delicious. Yeah, mm-hmm. very cool. We found, uh, Isaac found a morel the size of his head two years ago. That was just a giant morel. I'd never seen anything like it. It was really cool. But yeah, we, we've got like just a couple of weeks of morel season here. <laughs> yeah, it's a short one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I know you've been doing work with plants and fungi for pretty much your whole adult life, but um, how did you come to the plant path? Oh, my grandmother 
On my mother's side was a community herbalist in Pasadena, California, and she took uh, Colorado Boulevard. She took the red line trolley down to Chinatown. This is in the 1920s and studied with a Chinese herbalist. So wow. strangely enough, she's my spiritual mentor is my grandmother. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I was I never knew her. She died before I was born, unfortunately. Hmm. She was a she was a uh, you know a lot of different things, but she was a concert pianist that studied in Paris. But then she came back and was a, a herbalist, and in the community had her herb garden in her front yard, and uh, and you know served the people of her local community there. And then her her mother, my great grandmother, was also an herbalist from New York, Rochester, oh. and. She was also a lawyer and a tarot reader. Oh, wow. That's a really so, interesting combo. Yeah. And then on my dad's side, he was a professor of botany and his dad was a professor of botany. Oh, okay. So I really don't think I had much of a chance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for sure. Nobody was interested in mushrooms, though, particularly. So, yeah. So that just struck me mushrooms. I went to a mushroom conference in 77, one of the first at Paul Stamets. Um, star um, organized and there were a lot of mushroom luminaries there dr smith and guzman i don't know if you know who gaston guzman is I don't. He's, he's the world's leading authority was the lead, world's leading authority on psilocybin mm, okay. and so i got pretty fired up by just being around those people and mm -hmm. and uh orcas island and uh, took off with mushrooms yes. so but it's yeah it's a lineage Right. So, um, yeah, if you have any other teachers or mentors that were influential on your path, um, we'd love to hear about them, too. Oh, well, so many. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so many besides my grandmother's herbal notebooks and just, mm -hmm. you know, I, I've been a musician, too. And, and oh, so she, she really was probably a, the major influence on my life, though. I never knew her. That's pretty strange. But so but you had a, her notebooks. Yeah, some of her herbal notebooks oh. that I could read. And and music too, which was really great. Piano music. Yeah. So um uh but otherwise early mentors were definitely Paul Bragg. He I don't know if you know who he is, but he is, he is the um maybe the well arguably the founder of health food stores in in this country. He was a big fasting advocate. <laughs> And so I got his book and, and early on, I did a lot of fasting and cleansing and, and uh, herbal and started, that's when I started with herbs and, and I studied with Paul Bragg when he was still alive. He used to travel around and teach people about health and, and eating a healthy diet and vegetarianism and, and, and especially fasting. His book is called The Miracle of Fasting mm -hmm. and still a major influence on so many people. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, he used to talk about it, uh, how how important it was and how healing it, uh, fasting is. And now we have the science to back it up. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. there's all, all you probably know, you know, intermittent fasting and all these other ways of fasting. And, and he, he was teaching people in the 50s and 60s about, about the importance and early 70s about the importance of fasting. So he was my first big health teacher. Mm -hmm. And uh, my mom too. They they come from they're Seventh Day advoc advocates and and um, 
they uh, they believe in vegetarianism and mm -hmm. and healthy diet and and fresh air and all you know that kind of stuff. And that was back way back when. So, so all of this came together for me, but, uh, but Paul Bragg certainly was a major influence. And then I went to study on Orcasan with the Polarity Institute and, and took a bunch of their courses and joined their community. And they, that was a spiritual community that believed in Randolph Stone's teaching about the body as an energetic being, not okay. just a physical being. Yeah. And so we learned how to do polarity therapy and we did a lot of gestalt work. Uh, Gestalt was uh, founded or kind of popularized or, you know, maybe just he, he came up with the techniques for Gestalt therapy, which uh, Fritz Perls, yeah. which is, you know, chair. It's basically role playing chair work where you put your mom or your significant other or whoever in the chair you're facing uh -huh. and then you talk to them and then you switch and you become that you, you know, you role play them and you yeah. kind of try to see their point of view. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so we did a lot of that. And there, I had the group of students that, that I was coming up with in the class. And, and the, so you can't BS, you can't BS this BS the system, you have to be truthful and say, and your mom might say, well, you know, I, I know I wasn't the best mom, but, or dad, whatever it is. And, but uh, that my, my parent was really abusive or whatever. So you, you kind of get to see their point of view. And then at the end of the day, it's all it's what psilocybin and, and ayahuasca can do as well. And that is you realize that love is just the most important aspect of, of it all. And, and you just want to let all that stuff go. And okay. so, so that was a major turning point in my life when, when I let, you know, when I really delved deeply into that childhood stuff. And that was through through um, through Gestalt therapy, and and the Polarity Institute, and then later I started microdosing psilocybin. So I have to say that psilocybin was my teacher yeah. very very early on. I've been microdosing. One time I microdosed for nine months straight, uh -huh. uh, every day for nine months uh, psilocybin because we could go over the Oregon coast and pick them. Mm -hmm. They were growing over there in abundance in the cow field. So. Cool. So we were picking picking bags and bags of psilocybin mushrooms and storing them in the freezer and just uh, basically eating them every day for for almost a year. Mm -hmm. So that was a big teacher for me. And then the plants themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, because my dad was a professor of botany and he was always showing me this or that tree, or, and I was just interested in plant smells and tastes, and even as a very young child and. And I'd always ask my dad, well, what's that tree and what's that bush? And, you know, so I was lucky that I had someone that really knew all the plants and all the trees and even the ornamental ones and the wild ones and, and everything. So I was very fortunate there. And, um, and then, so, and, and then I, you know, we found each other, the herbal community found each other through the work of, of, of and quite a few people, but especially Rosemary Gladstar. I don't know if you know who she is, but I don't know who's that. Yeah, no, definitely no Rosemary. <laughs> yeah, we interviewed her a, a while back. Yeah, uh, she's amazing. Yeah, of course, she's great. well. She she started the California School of Herbal Studies in Sonoma County, and uh, in and and another seminar there in the late seventies, and then the first class with uh, at the school in Forestville, California, Sonoma County, was nineteen eighty. 
And so I, I met them all uh, on a journey. They got on a bus and were traveling around meeting all these incredible people like Gabriel Howarth, the co-founder of Seeds of Change. And, uh, and then the first uh, Brighton Bush Herbal Gathering happened in 1981 or 82. We still can't quite figure it out. But uh, that's when David Winston and, you know, we came from the East Coast and, and Rosemary was there and all these incredible people showed up and uh, we all met each other. And that was when, you know, our, my cohort anyway of herbalists uh, first got together in 1981 or 82 in the, in the wilds of, of Oregon at the at Brighton Bush Hot Springs. And, and so that was really the, <clears throat> the start of a lot. And we learned from each other over the years. You know, that was it, Rosemary started the International Herb Symposium. And then there were all these other herb conferences. Uh, you know, Frontier had a uh, herb company, had one in Iowa. And, and, uh, and then they just started springing up everywhere. And people wanted to get together and, and uh, do herb walks and have, offer classes and, and learn from each other and go to each other's classes. And so we were kind of learning together, really. Michael Tierra, Leslie Tierra, um, all these people were, were gathering together and, um, uh, you know, so many, uh, mm -hmm. Susan Weed and, mm -hmm. and uh, Matthew Wood and, you know, on seven and song? on. Was seven seven songs? Song, seven mm -hmm. song, yeah, definitely. He was in that herb crew. Yeah, and so many of us got together throughout uh, throughout the country and HG we formed the American Herbalist Guild at my house in really? 1989 wow in Santa Cruz so that's that was the first meeting of the American Herbalist Guild it was at my house in 1989 and we we founded the organization and I'm happy to say it's still going mm -hmm. strong now with a lot of you know new younger younger herbalists that are so passionate and enthusiastic and and so, um, yeah, it's just, we learn, I, I think I have to say my teachers were the other herbalists and, yeah. and we were all learning together and studying and practicing and drinking herb teas and, mm -hmm. and learning about the wild herbs. And, and, uh, uh, yeah, I was seven songs first, uh, botany teacher. I, yeah. I met him and he came to Brighton Bush early on in the early eighties. And, um, so we all did it together really. And, and the plants again, are our major teachers, of course, and wild nature. And, mm -hmm. and uh, so I don't know, it's been quite yeah. a journey, that's for sure. That's so cool to hear about. I mean, conferences are definitely such an inspiring place and way to well, meet people. And I can, I can see that, you know, you all learned so much from each other and inspired each other. And now you're inspiring all of these next generations of herbalists too. So it's, it's cool to hear about that. Well, with COVID, you know, we couldn't really go to too many um, right. yeah. conferences for a, a few years there. And fortunately now it's opening up. I just went to two conferences in, in Colorado, my, you know, Telluride Mushroom Festival and awesome. the Yule Mushroom Festival. And that was just so great to be together with everybody. Oh yeah. And, and now um, I'm going up to the radical mycology. Oh, are you? Uh, cool. Urgence, nice. And, um, and just uh, what, 10 days or something, <laughs> radical mycology up in Portland. So I'm really looking forward to that. There are going to be hundreds of, of um, uh, mushroom heads me all meeting uh, very yes. soon here in Portland. So I'm, and 
Peter McCoy, I just met him. He was at, uh, he was in Colorado. So we got together there. Mm. And, and then I'm going to the American Herbalist Guild conference in, uh, in uh, Bethesda. Maryland? Okay. Bethesda, oh. yeah. And uh, that's happening uh, in, you know, two, two and a half weeks, something like that. And so I'll be back there. And uh, if you make it down to uh, Bethesda, we'll be, uh, I'll be doing a, uh, a three hour, four hour workshop on Friday before the conference. Awesome. Cool. What are you teaching? Medicinal mushrooms. Of course. Heck yeah, yeah. Heck yeah. We should get into that medicinal mushrooms. That seems to be what you're known mostly for. Um, and this, especially this book is mm-hmm. just a uh, medicinal mushrooms. Yeah. This yeah. is a fantastic essential guide. book. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is definitely the medicinal mushrooms. The essential guide is definitely like the premier book um, on making mushroom medicine and you get into cooking, you get into ID, you get into um, profiles of various mushrooms yeah. and the pictures Psilocybin. are outstanding. <laughs> what I'm yeah. happiest, one of, one of the things I'm happiest about is the publisher story publishing let me um, cite the literature and, you know, many, many popular books. So this is a combination of a popular book, very practical, how to do it based on my many, many years of experience, hands-on experience, and and also learning from other mycologists, certainly. Uh, So many good mycologists, wonderful mycologists out there. Uh, But also they, as a scientist, they, they let me put the science in there and review all the clinical trials for each mushroom and, and all the psilocybin studies. So that was, to me, that was important. Uh, and um, I, that's what I'm really happy about. Yeah, that's exciting. So, so was psilocybin uh, your gateway drug into the other medicinal mushrooms or did it come after? No, that um, I was an herbalist. I started drinking herb, herb teas and, and learning about herbal medicine and, and actually leading herb walks in 1968, I hate to tell you. <laughs> wow. So, that, so nice. that was actually nine years before I went to my first, my first mushroom conference. So I was definitely an herbalist and botanist hmm. before um, mushrooms. Mm-hmm. But I, were, I wrote my first little pamphlet on medicinal mushrooms in 1986. So that was pretty oh. early on, too. Just a little hell self, you know, homemade pamphlet, basically. Cool, like a zine. Yeah, and then the first uh, substantial edition was 1995. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote a thicker book on medicinal mushrooms. And, oh, we have that one too. Yeah. Yeah, the brown one. Uh, so yeah. that one, that one's been out since 1995, and this one <clears throat> I've been working on for quite a few years. I was going to do a scientific review, but. At the end of the day, a story asked me to to write a more popular guide. And so I thought that's probably more important than a scientific. And, and, you know, you get tired of of, um, crunching down studies after a while. Yeah. (laughs) It really is. I love science and, you know, I'm a scientist, but Mm -hmm. uh, first and foremost, I'm an herbalist and and I want it to be practical. And I want, you know, I I want to share my hands-on experience with them. So. Because I think with herbal medicine, you know, I I just keep saying, you know, stop reading about it so much and start brewing, you know, and start using them. And Mm -hmm. so many people will will take a class and study it. And, oh, that's very interesting. And 
And, and then no, it, the, the way to do it is just grow it in pots, grow them in your front yard, get rid of your lawn, just start growing sage and rosemary and thyme and oregano and, and helichrysum and, mm. you know, angelica. And I mean, there's so many wonderful Mediterranean herbs. They're very hardy and they'll grow anywhere. Mm-hmm. So uh, garden sage. Yeah. And that's your medicine chest right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so there's well, no all the weeds too. I mean, there's so and many the weeds. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Learn your weeds. It's just, uh, we just need to stop. And there's so many good herb books out there. I agree. Conferences and so forth. But the whole po- point is to just get rid of the drugs and the pills and empty out your medicine chest and just go ahead. I mean, you can keep a mm-hmm. bottle of Advil or whatever, if you have a horrible toothache, uh, th- those are for really just acute conditions for right. only for, using for a very short time to get you over the hump. But overall, you know, you, you want to learn natural methods uh, for even for a, to- a horrible toothache, you can just put an ice pack on there and just start, you know, get, get your willow, <coughs> willow bark and start, start drinking willow bark tea. Yeah. Or, or are there there are extracts of willow bark out there too you can use but mm-hmm. yeah but my main point is just start using it yeah, yeah start definitely. doing it yeah mm-hmm. incorporating in your life and and it should be always the first line of treatment and first line of, of prevention is herbal medicine yeah one thing that i've really taken away from your book and your teachings has been mushrooms as a food medicine, but primarily food, meaning they're safe to take on a regular basis, not just an acute basis. Like you're saying with Advil, you can take them daily um, and you can eat them as food or you can take them as mushroom powders. Um, And so I would love to get into mushroom powders specifically, because that's something that I used to take a lot of like double extracts, like tinctures of mushrooms, but you really recommend the powders. And I'm wondering if you can tell us about how you make a mushroom powder, like what, what the process looks like and why you would take them versus tincture or tea or whatever else. Yeah. So this, this is, um, a key concept for, for me, there are just, you know, a handful of key concepts when, uh, well, first of all, that, that, that herbs and mushrooms are not drugs. That that's one of the key concepts that, People say, well, can I take Rishi along with so-and-so? Or can I give Rishi to my, <clears throat> to my five-year-old? Well, you know, just get out of your head that it's a drug. It's not a drug, it's a food. And so, and, and this was an ancient concept. Obviously, Hippocrates said, let your food be your medicine and medicine be your food. So <clears throat> this is this is ancient. The understanding that that food is the best medicine. And also the whole statement that Jim Duke came up with, I'd rather enjoy my medicine rather than, you know, take these bitter white powders <clears throat> that have tons yeah. of side effects. For sure. Yeah. Um, you know, we, what we want is, uh, is um, medicine that is going to, oh, and then the other key statement that, that somehow I came up with years ago, <clears throat> but it's like, you know, with, with herbs, it's, that you you get side benefits, not side effects. So um, yes, yeah. When you're ta- drinking your reishi for inflammation or for a lung condition or calming down, whatever you're using it for, 
uh, you're going to be getting a lot of side benefits. You're going to be feeding your microflora, which is, and that's another key concept. I mean, if I were to mention five key concepts, one is definitely think of mushrooms and mushroom medicine as food medicine that you can use liberally and, and, and add it to your diet, add the powders that you're making. I'll get back to making them in a minute, but, but so that's one definite big key concept. Another one is that, that uh, um, herbs and, and mushroom medicine are not drugs. Uh, so that's really important. They, they act completely different. They don't like drugs. The, the key concept there is that drugs are designed, they're manufactured by a giant corporation to bind irreversibly to your receptor sites. So that basically, when you take Xanax, it's going to bind to your, your benzodiazepine receptors, which are very important in your body for regulating mood and all kinds of other things. They're going to bind right in there to those receptor sites. They're powerful agonists. And the problem is they don't, your, your own natural um, uh, neurotransmitters uh, like anandamide, you know, your feel-good neurotransmitter is not going to be able to bind. It's, it's uh, basically these drugs bind irreversibly and take the receptor sites offline. So then it's going to take you maybe a week or two weeks to, to produce your cells to produce new um, receptor sites. So they irreversibly bind. They, they, they basically, um, well, you know, take, take them offline so that, so that you can't, if you go out for a run, you're not going to be feeling good. You, you don't get that rush of, oh, I feel so good after that run, uh, a, a feeling of well-being, that food. Have you ever had a big salad where you're just eating eating a salad and then afterwards you go, God, I just feel so good. Mm -hmm. this, you get this feeling of well-being. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, un unlike going in and getting a McDonald's hamburger and you just don't get that feeling of well-being. No. <laughs> you know, it might, it might um, I don't know, somehow your twisted our twisted taste buds are going to to want more but it yeah. doesn't give you that feeling of, of just health it's mm -hmm. craving it's like it's a by yeah it's a vibration of health so yeah. these are receptor sites in our body that our own natural hormones are being our neurotransmitters are being released and giving us a, a gift a reward for eating this really really healthy food and and so that's another big point that I want to make is that mushrooms won't do that. These mushroom compounds like phenolics and terpenes, they're not going to bind irreversibly to your binding to our binding sites. They're going to irreversibly bind to give us kind of some activation of say benzodiazepine receptors. So if we're eating reishi or drinking reishi tea, it might calm us down gently, but it's working with our body processes, not against them like the like drugs do. So that's another big concept. Um, and another big one that I'll mention right now, you might want to talk about it more later, but mycelium is every bit as good as fruiting bodies. So, so you can't really say that some people have a feeling that, uh, and it's marketing, frankly, uh, that only fruiting bodies are going to give you a real benefit. Mycelium is not. That's um, not absolutely not true. 
burning bodies are made up of mycelium in the first place. So yeah. yes, there's, there's a little gene, different gene expression going on when the mycelium is producing a fruiting body. But, but overall, fruity, uh, mycelium products are as good as fruiting body products. It's just that you have to have a product that has a lot of mycelium in there and not, not substrate. So that, that's another really uh, important uh, key concept. So um, when considering uh, how to extract mushrooms, which is back to your point, uh, what's the best way to extract mushrooms? First of all, <clears throat> a lot of people do make tinctures of reishi and they, or they make double extractions. I, I describe how to make a double extraction in my book. It's basically boiling the herb, um, taking the, you know, extracting the tea off of that, set it aside, and then tincture the mark in strong alcohol. That way you're gonna, the, the concept is that you're gonna pull out more alcohol soluble compounds like bulky sterols and things like that, which are C30 compounds. They're big and bulky. And, and it's true that some of them are not gonna come out in, in a water-based extract very well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Most of them will because in a mushroom and in a plant, you get these big bulky molecules, they're terpenes or sterols, basically, are four or five ring compounds that are very bulky. And so they don't easily come off into H2O. Remember that water are all these little tiny molecules that are highly polar, an oxygen on one side and two hydrogens on the other side. And so they're moving around and they're putting the electrons, oh, well, the, the hydrogen has a huge nucleus and compared with, with the electrons, and it's going to pull all the electron density off of the, off of the hydrogen atoms. And so it's going to be positive on that end and electronegative on the oxygen end. So those are all in the water. They're very happy um, finding an equilibrium of, mm. of electros, you know, electronic uh, stability because the, uh, the negative ends are going to go towards the positive ends and it's going to you know, settle down. But trying to think about trying to put a giant bulky molecule into that milieu, it's not going to go in there. So, so hot water isn't going to be able to extract those big bulky terpene, uh, triterpenes. So, um, the, so the, then they go, well, you know, alcohol, ethanol is going to be a much better solvent to pull those out. However, um, in mushrooms and plants, they, they attach sugar molecules to those. Those are called glycosides. And so it turns out that almost all molecules in plants and mushrooms can be extracted by hot water. That is a major key concept right there. For sure. So you don't need alcohol. I mean, I'm not against tinctures, but right. overall, I'm not a big tincture fan. First of all, because I don't imbibe alcohol. I don't mm. think it's, it's very great for young kids to be drinking a lot of alcohol. Mm -hmm. Some of these tinctures, you know, if you take a couple shots of, of, of a tincture, uh, you, you get your throat burns from the alcohol. I mean, right. it's like 90, 90% alcohol, ethanol. Yeah. So I'm not big on, on that. Um, like a, when you make a double extraction, you've got to have at least 25% ethanol in the finished product for it to be preserved long-term. Mm. Right. So, 
So that's 25% ethanol isn't so bad. Yeah. But so you can make a double extraction. It's convenient to carry with you. Mm -hmm. You can dose yourself with some terpenes, uh, which are pulled out by the alcohol pretty well, and you and some beta glucans that the water boiling it is going to bring out. Um, because, and then here's another very important key concept: beta glucans, which are you know cell wall components. They're basically strings of glucose molecules put together in a way that we can't digest in the upper gut, those are not water uh, alcohol soluble. They have zero solubility in alcohol. So when you, when you try to make a tincture, a reishi, you're getting zero beta-glucans. And those are literally the most important and the most widely studied of all mushroom constituents. And they certainly are the most important for activating our immune responses. So when you when you take a tincture of reishi, you're getting no beta-glucan. So that's a very important uh, concept right there. And so therefore the double extraction is gonna give you a little bit of beta-glucans and, and some terpenes and phenolics uh, and, and, and uh, nucleotides. Does it come out in water? So do the beta-glucans come out in the tea? They don't come out in the tea either. It's more like you have to actually eat it. Oh, they do come out in the tea. Yeah. Okay. So they are water soluble if they are separated from the chitin that you find. So a mushroom cell wall is made up of layers of, of these polymers because the mushroom mycelium has to be very tough. It has to penetrate wood. <clears throat> it has to penetrate the soil and rock. So it has the mushroom cells are very tough uh, layers of. Uh, basically, manoproteins for signaling. Uh, next is the beta, are the beta glucans, and next is chitin. And chitin is a is a gly, um, aminoglycan polymer that's found in crab shells. It's very very tough, and so but that's good for the mushroom because again, it can penetrate the soil, it can penetrate the wood, but chitin is very tightly bound to beta glucans in the cell wall of the mushroom. When you look at a cross-section, remember it's beta-glucan layer and a chitin layer. So these, these are almost inseparable in, in the, the wall. So when you make a, a reishi tea, say you grind up, uh, you say you cut up some dried reishi, you put it in your blender, you put water in there or boiling uh, kind of hot water in there and you blend, you blend, or you might even soak the reishi because it's so tough and dry. You might soak it overnight to kind of hydrate it and then take the, the reishi out and cut it up with a pair of shears and put it in your blender, put in some hot water, blend it all up, uh, you know, and then uh, so, so that's, uh, and then put it, and even boil it or even put it in a pressure cooker. Uh, that's another idea, but say you boiled it for two hours. Well, you're only gonna get, even after all that, you're only gonna get 20 to 30% of the beta-glucan out of the brooding body. Only 20 to 30%. Because mm -hmm. again, the reason why is because the beta-glucans, which are pretty water soluble because they're, they're made up of glucose. So there's all these hydroxyl groups and so they are polar, but they're because they're so tightly bound to chitin, which is completely not water soluble, then, then you know, you're not gonna be able to extract a lot of the beta-glucans even after boiling. Uh, and, and when you drink the tea, you're not gonna get a whole lot. You're only gonna get 20 to 30% of the, of the immunomodulating 
beta-glucans. So, so what, what can you do about that? Well, uh, first of all, put it in a pressure cooker and use what's called subcritical water extraction. Okay. So that's another concept, subcritical water extraction. Okay. Well, all it means, it sounds fancy. All it means is that you're, when you, you know, you know very well that you can, have you ever used a pressure cooker and put beans in there? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, you, can, you can put, you can put the hardest beans in a pressure cooker and you can cook it up for 10 minutes under pressure and then let it cool down naturally for a half an hour. I have an instant pot. I use it all the time, twice a week, because I'm always because legumes are the second highest source of fiber on the planet, after mushrooms. So, uh, for defeating the, the microflora. So even even after that, um, but anyway, when you take water and you boil it, it's going to come off of steam, right? So yeah. that's going to change. It's going to go through a, a state change. It's going to go from from a solid, from a liquid to a gas. So, um, but that isn't a very good solvent. The, the steam is not a very good solvent, too diffuse for one thing. So when you put the water under pressure, it's basically going to be very, very hot in there, but it's going to stay in a liquid form. Well, that's called subcritical water extraction. And, and hot, very, very hot water, is a great solvent for beta-glucans, for chitin, for all of those big polymers. It's a great solvent. It can pull them all out and make them soluble. And then when we drink the tea, it, it's going to interact with our immune system going down our gut. 70% of our immune tissue is in our gut. So you're going to get all this immuno activity going down in, into our gut. Some of it's going to be taken up by macrophages through the M cells and so forth. But but uh, my point being is that this is the very best way to extract mushrooms, a pressure cooker. Yeah. So okay. It's, it's well worth, uh, and, and, in, and when you're manufacturing, if you were to start a, a small company making mushroom extracts, the first thing you want to do is get a high-tech pressure cooker because you're going to be able to put your your mushrooms in there and it's going to raise the temperature really high and it's going to be under pressure. So that's going to be a great solvent to pull all that chitin out of there, all the beta-glucans, everything, all the actives out of there, the phenolics, which are also a little bit um, non-water soluble. So, so basically you can get everything, an alcohol out of there, all the phenolics, uh, which are three ring molecules that are antioxidants and anti-inflammatories. So you get everything out of there, basically, all the medicine in a, in a, in a, and if you get, if you have a business, you want to get a high tech pressure cooker. That's your, that's one of your first big tools. Then once it cools down, you're going to blend it up and make a slurry out of it. And then you're going to pour it in your food dehydrator. Uh, hold on one second. I'll show you. I don't have the, unfortunately, the uh, wafer, the, the nylon wafer, but I'll show you here. Um, so this is another tool that you, you want, whether you're making it at home or not, and that is just a dehydrator, a stacking trays, and set the temperature, uh, dehydrate your slurry at, you know, and you put a, a nylon wafer in here, 
with, with lips on it. So you can pour your slurry in there and then you stack them up in your food dehydrator and you dehydrate it and make these and put a little oil on it <clears throat> so it won't stick. And then you, you can pull out these wafers and it's basically mushroom leather. So yeah. you're pulling out the mushroom leather layers and then you're going to put that in, in another big tool that you want, especially if you're you're going to be making them commercially, any of the powders. Um, so it, it, these, these tools are not high tech. You want to get a really good grinder. You want to get a, a, an herb grinder, which you can get online out of China. They, they ship them in here. Stainless steel, you can get any size grinder. Like and a coffee will, grinder? It's a... Well, yeah, you could. I mean, I use a brawn coffee grinder and that'll take it down to about 150 microns. So another really important concept with all this is that once you break it down, solubilize the beta-glucans of chitin through, through uh, sub, subcritical water extraction and then dehydrate it and dry it to a wafer, the, the next concept is you wanna get the particle size down as small as you can, because that means that your body is gonna be able to interact a lot better with these active compounds as it goes through your gut. 70% of your immune tissue is in your gut. So, yeah. so that's, that's really important. And um, uh, so basically um, a micro powder is, is you wanna get down to around hundred microns. Okay. And, and so uh, the best coffee grinder, well, you know how you go, to um, Starbucks and you get these little packets. I mean, I don't use them, but I, I have seen them. I've used one time or two, get these little packets of super, well, it's the same thing with, with cocoa powder. Like they instant take, coffee or, in, yeah, cocoa Yeah, you powder. just pour it into water and stir it. Uh -huh. and it, it seems to dissolve, it's not really dissolving. Uh -huh. It's just forming a micro suspension so mm. that it looks like it's dissolving. And cool. then you drink it down. Yeah. And, and so that's about a, probably 100 microns. And then you can get down to a nanopowder. If you had the technology, you can buy, um, you can buy grinders to get it down below mm. 100 microns, down to 50 microns or even lower. And then, then it goes right in. It goes okay. right into our body. And like turmeric, turmeric is, is, uh, is an herb that has a, you know, is very famous as an anti-inflammatory for arthritis and so forth. But, but the, the active compounds are bulky again, and they, they, they aren't very um, uh, absorbable. Our gut can only absorb a small amount of them. So what they do is, in like in India, they make, micro, they make nanopowders. Okay. Then you can take a capsule of, of turmeric nanopowder, and it goes right in. Okay. And you get, get super high um, absorption and... Um, and then you add, this is another thing, but you, you add a bioenhancer, you know, like black pepper or phosphatidylcholine, and that prevents your liver from breaking down the, the cucurmin into a non-active form. So, you know, most of the products out there, you get a turmeric powder or turmeric product um, that most of them are bioenhanced. Mm. And by the way, the original bioenhancer is is the, the Ayurvedic formula called Trichitu. So you might check that out. When you're, when you're brewing up herbs, you could get some Trichitu uh, powder, and, which is black pepper, long pepper, and ginger. And that enhances the, your body's ability to uptake 
the ginger and, and compounds and so forth. Yeah, that's really cool. So, or mushrooms. Okay, so, so it works for mushrooms My point too. being, then you have a, a, a fine powder of your yeah. reishi that's already been processed, and then you put it into a canning jar or whatever, and then you get these little scoops, herb scoops, and you put it into some hot water and, and mix it up, and it's perfect. That's the, mm -hmm. absolutely, you capture everything that is in the mushroom. You're not throwing away. And then, then the other huge concept before I um, stop talking here, you know, but, but one, the, another huge concept is that, uh, and, and this is just something that I just recently really started talking about more and more is that we know, you know, in the last five years, there's so much, and especially the last year or two, there's so much research on the importance of the diversity of our microbiome. Yeah. So this is this is a major, major concept that I yeah. That, and that is because we're finding out that um, when our microbiome is very, very diverse, uh, and, and there are many things that limit our, you know, that that dumb down our microbiome. Many things, for instance. Um, you know, antibiotics obviously are, 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 are quite obvious. And, and antibiotics, by the way, if you buy chicken from the store and you eat a little chicken or you buy this or that food, there can be antibiotics in that. You know, right. if you get non-organic, uh, there are going to be antibiotics in there, maybe even mm -hmm. organic. So this is going to, over time, is going to really dumb down our microflora in our gut. And, and what we know now is that this is going to affect our mood there's a direct highway between our brain and our gut. And we're finding out that if your microflora is damaged in any way, or if you're not getting enough fiber, you know, and, and it's gotta be insoluble fiber too. It's gotta be a type of fiber that isn't gonna get broken down in your upper gut and doesn't get make it down to your lower gut in a form mm -hmm. that our microflora can feed on. This is another huge concept now. Uh, remember that like a lot of people eat oats, yeah. you know, maybe even every day eat oats. Mm -hmm. And this is a good thing um, because oats have beta glucans in them. Mm -hmm. Oats actually have beta glucans. They're different than mushroom beta glucans. Right, though. right. Oat beta glucans can still act as a very, very good prebiotic. Yeah. Eat our microflora and help to increase the diversity. But when you cook oats, you're going to start breaking those beta glucans down into simpler forms that are then absorbed from our upper gut. And so it's, they don't act as really hmm. efficient prebiotics. Now, the, the other half of that is that all oats on the market are cooked. Oh, okay. So even like rolled oats, if you make like a muesli with them uh -huh. or something, pre-cooked, they're pre-cooked. Okay. So oat groats, uh, mm -hmm. steel cut oats, they're all pre-cooked. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so right. Get some, buy some oat groats from the store. Mm -hmm. Try to sprout them. Okay. okay. So, soak them overnight, pour the water off, see if they sprout. They won't sprout. They're all cooked. But you can buy uncooked oats and unsteamed oats on, on eBay or wherever. Uh, I, I buy them from Brian Severson's farm. It, it's an organic family farm. They're naturally hollis oats that are then i've sprouted them I, i've grown them out in my in my garden 
So they're live oats. And this is, this is another one of my key concepts is that if you're eating oats every day, go for raw oats and soak them like muesli and add your fruit and nuts. Yeah. Mm, okay. And make up, make some substitute milk products if you want to. Throw your mushroom powder on top. Or put your mushroom powder on top. Rishi is a little bitter, but but make up some from turkey tail or from shiitake. Those mm. those are pretty bland tasting. Uh, yeah, and add your mushroom powder on there, and and then you're getting the beta oat beta glucans in a form that will go down in your gut and feed your diversity. But but the 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 wonderful thing about mushroom fiber, mushrooms are the highest fiber food. They mm -hmm. contain up to sixty percent fiber. The high, absolutely crazy. the highest fiber yeah. food. And, and so what doesn't contain fiber as far as foods, like what does contain and what doesn't contain fiber? Well, that's the big deal here. Is right. that yeah. All animal products contain zero fiber. Uh-huh. Milk, dairy, eggs, meat, mm -hmm. bacon, no fiber. Mm -hmm. So there's gotta be a little bit of fiber in bacon, just a little bit. <laughs> 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 yeah, if you add mushroom powder to it, <laughs> okay. uh, it's got some fiber. But but that's that's something that I think a lot of people don't realize. Yeah, is that I'm not saying, you know, because I've gotten pushback from this by saying, well, you know, read the China study, the new edition of the China study. He cites so many reference, so much research that the, the best diet for longevity and for less less chronic illness, you can cut your incidence of, hot, of chronic illness like cancer and heart disease in half just by simply by going to a mostly whole foods plant-based diet. So, and by, by plant-based diet, I include mushrooms. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. also like if you are eating a lot of meat, make sure you get even more mushrooms and mm -hmm. more fiber because and that's all oats. Yeah. <laughs> So there are there are meat products out there now that are made out of mushrooms that where mm -hmm. people and there are some new studies showing that people are even more satisfied mm. uh, if they eat if they eat these mushroom burgers than than a oh. beef patty. There have been two studies recently showing that people are more satisfied. They feel you know their hunger and their yeah. their um, their you know desire for this umami flavor that meat right. has. <clears throat> you can they're even more satisfied when it's a blinded study oh, they, cool. eat a, they eat a mushroom burger because they're they're putting texturizers and and you know mm -hmm. maybe some coloring in there to make it look just like meat gotcha. and, and so and there are these products that are showing up which look like a steak you know and they're they're actually from lion's mane or, or mm. rishi or whatever i made some lion's mane crab cakes like no crab in it but just oh, boy, those crab cakes. oh good oh, oh my gosh it was yeah. the best we those had a little really, really and everybody loved them like i i actually had to make them again the next night and again the next day for breakfast because they were so good <laughs> and, and i mean 100 yeah <laughs> i do eat meat but i also really I eat a lot of mushrooms yeah and I will say that like chicken of the woods you don't even need to do anything to it it's oh. it's chick it's better than chicken yeah <laughs> mayataki also you know they, oh, they do yeah. have that umami and the texture and right. everything yeah they're so right. good mm -hmm. exactly yeah <laughs> yeah <clears throat> so anyway that's those are some of my my key concepts but yeah but the, it's so important to if you if you want to live a long life Mm -hmm. like they do in the blue zones 
Well, mm-hmm. in the blue zones, the number one, the number one food are probably legumes, mm-hmm. legumes and vegetables <clears throat> and fruits and nuts and seeds. I mean, if you're eating mostly that, you're going to cut your incidence of heart disease and, and uh, you know, cancer in half. And you're, you're mm-hmm. going to really increase your po- the possibility uh, of living longer, healthy life. And then, and then based on, uh, you know, <clears throat> the other half of the equation, if you want to live long and prosper is, you know, get your fiber and, and it's mostly, uh, mostly, I'm not saying don't eat meat. I'm not going to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I eat, I eat sardines maybe once or twice a week. So mm-hmm. that's, that's <laughs> my nod to, to meat. But, mm-hmm. but as um, I've been a vegetarian mostly for 50 years, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but uh, the other half of the equation if you want to live long and prosper is, uh, well, the new book, uh, Gabor Mate's new book just came out, which is the myth of normal. Mm. And, and, you know, all of his books, and I heartily recommend watching some of his teachings, his, his, his interviews, read some of his books, like when the body says no is a good first book to read. Mm. But, you know, the, the other part of the equation is that he's saying that, almost all illness, physical illness, of course, we can harm our bodies through, through a bad diet and so forth, damaging our vessels. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, he's saying that, that a lot of it is really uh, lack, early lack of attunement with our parents, mm. our caregivers, basically. Um, lack of attunement um, with our caregivers when we're young. They're too busy or whatever. So it's not frank abuse. It's not getting beaten or sexually abused. Right. It's just they don't have time for us. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so he's saying that this, this is a natural, fundamental human need to, to attune uh, and form a strong bond with our caregiver very early. Uh, and then after that, there is a lot of stress in our, in our parents' lives. Uh, can, can happen. They have, they're both working a full-time job. They both have their own trauma from their, from their lineage. So he's saying it's like lineage after lineage. It's, it's really a, a lineage. And it's also a society and a community. So disease, uh, in his new book, he, this is so fantastic. I mean, certainly it makes sense. But we're not separate from our community. And we're not separate from our society. We're not separate from our family. So when you, have a, when you get cancer, what what he's saying is that this is this is not you cannot separate a disease and and say this is a disease you have this is a process you don't have a disease you don't have cancer or heart disease this is uh so so much part of of you know this is this is created and this is a sign of uh, of a family a community a neighborhood um, a society a world that is out of balance, uh, and and this is this is so profound what he's saying that that uh, and and the what he's emphasizing in this chapter that I just read that, that this person came up with after struggling with cancer for cancer for many many years, <clears throat> and and just the realization that cancer and heart disease are not it's not a thing. It's not a thing. It's not a disease. It's a process that's involved in everything around us that we're that we are part of. 
So when we look at it that way, it just, it, we can transform our whole. So my point being is that how does that relate to mushrooms? Well, hallucinogens and psilocybin are an amazing way to dissolve our, our ego to increase entropy in the system of our nervous system in our body. So psilocybin uh, and an entropy basically is an amazing, interesting concept because entropy is, is one of the physical laws of, of every system is that the tighter and the more controlled and the more organized a system is, the less entropy it has. So, uh, and, and all of life, I think, is probably a cycle of, of, of um, you know, increasing entropy expansion and, and less entropy contraction. So all of life, really, you see these cycles of contraction and expansion. I think we all know that. Even the universe itself, <clears throat> scientists say now, uh, James Webb Telescope is kind of changing maybe some of our ideas about mm -hmm. the Big Bang. But, you know, if we, if we, we accept the Big Bang is, is the predominant um, theory of how the universe started or what's happening in the universe. But we know that the, the universe is expanding. Well, this is, this is basically increasing entropy. So in our body, in our system, as we age, entropy is changing in our body. Basically, when we're young, we're, we're born and it's very concentrated, isn't it? Everything is very concentrated. As we get older and older, the entropy is increasing. But in, in our physical system, but in our mind and psyche, it's actually can be the reverse because so many people that, that are closed-minded, this is what we're seeing today. Um, you know, so many people are closed-minded, very contracted in their thinking and, and in their psychological um, the, uh, functioning and, and the way that our nervous system and our brain works uh, is, is so contracted and so narrow in their thinking uh, that that's what, and, and you know, we think that our, our ego and our psyche and our soul, you know, we, th we think that, that the psyche is, is, consists of, well, this is one theory, obviously coming from Freud and Jung, but um, they, they said that our psyche basically is composed of our soul, which is more the more spiritual part of our being, and our ego, which is, our, is an artificial construct that we developed over time uh, to protect us. So that's, that's basically our ego. Well, psilocybin dissolves and, and shuts down our default mode network, which is where we think our, our psyche is stored. And so that's pretty interesting. Does the whole concept of dissolving our psyche or dissolving our ego, where that, so that basically vastly increases entropy in, in our brain and nervous system and allows us to see so many more limitless possibilities that are, that, that are out there. And it, so it counteracts this narrow thinking that we have and yeah. opens us up to many new possibilities and ways yeah. of, of being. So, so this, according to <coughs> Gabor Mate, this also allows us to see the, the actual, once we're separate from it, we can see the construction of, of our ego and, and that these traumas are part of our ego and stored there and early experiences and allow us to see those, to deal with those, 
to release those. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so this this is kind of like the fundamental um, theory of of how uh, psychedelics work to help us. So and, and but my but I have to say that having said that, mm-hmm. we also know that that taking having a psychedelic journey like going to Peru, which I'm about ready to do, go to Peru and have some, and I'm co-leading a group to Peru from the ship network. Uh, we're we're having three um, uh, ayahuasca journeys and one San Pedro journey. Uh, so going through experiences like that, uh, it's very, it just opens everything up and we get so many insights and so many aha moments, so many light bulbs go off for us, but it's not a magic bullet. It's not a pill right. that right. is going to heal our psyche yeah. and get rid of all that trauma. No, we have to do the work, but it does, it does give us the insights and the knowledge about, about, um, you know, how we can approach that and how we can heal that. And so that's called integration. And so the integration is so vital. Yeah. Uh, and and I, if I can get a little plug for my course, I did just finish teaching a seven week course uh, in psilocybin, all aspects of psilocybin. And I do get into all of this in, in a lot of interesting detail in the shift course. Uh, the shift course is over now. I just finished it, but you, but anybody can go on there and stream the, the module. So there are awesome. seven weeks, there are seven modules and those are still available. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that is really cool. Um, from, I mean, I know from myself personally, psilocybin has helped me to, uh, yeah, it shuts off the default mode network, uh, and allows you to see things from a new perspective. Um, and it's like a peak experience, but there's also, it's like the daily practices. That's where like the real rubber meets the road, the integration, oh, integration and, and yeah, like me- meditation and ritual practice and these kind of things. Like these are how you, 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 you do it on a daily basis. Um, but also you, there's this difference between like macro dosing and micro dosing and psilocybin isn't as much of a part of my practice anymore, but it was, you know, very important at those, at those times. And I can see how like micro dosing could be um, more akin to like uh, doing a daily practice. Mm. Like how, how, and you said you, you did it for like nine months at one point. Right. So what's your experience been with the difference between uh, micro dosing and, and macro do- dosing? Yes. <clears throat> well, first, yeah, I, I'll talk about that. For the first thing I, I just want to mention is that um, I, when I was young, I, one of the key th- questions that I had about life is, well, who am I? What am I doing here? What am I meant? You know, how can I contribute or whatever? Yeah. How yeah. can I find myself? You know, all of those yeah. questions. Well, what, sure, what, what, we, myself, what am I? What, yeah. Yeah. yeah what, what's going on here? This is crazy place that I was born in. <laughs> so naturally, that's one of our first questions. But my next question was, uh, and I've, I've had somehow I had this question early on. What what is disease and what is health? Why do some people get get sick and why do some people stay healthy, even yeah. with the same habits? Yeah. And so this was a central question of my life. And what I've come to realize finally is that health is not a thing. Health, health is a process. And so health is a practice. So that goes back to what you were saying is that health is definitely a practice. So <clears throat> when people say, how can I get healthy? 
well, there's no herbs. And my, my teacher, Paul Bragg, always used to say, people, in, I'd go to these um, you know, presentations that he would do, and there might be hundreds of people in the audience, and somebody would raise their hand and say, how can I get rid of uh, arthritis? I've got arthritis, how can I get rid of it? Well, he goes, I have no, I have no miracle cures for you, dear. I have nothing. I, I, it's because it's always a total program for health. And so that's what, that was my key concept. My, that was my aha moment. Oh yeah, all of disease, it's, it's a total program for health, which means it's a process. It's, and that's, that's the whole thing about health and disease. It's a process and it's everything that's around us too. So having said that, and, and, you know, and it's based on what you're saying is that it really is integration. It's, it's a process. And another quick thing that I'll mention is that, uh, and th this is, this is like the poster child for psych what psychedelics can do is the actor, Cary Grant, you know who he is? Yeah. So, so, so the actor, Cary Grant in the 1950s, Cary Grant had a lot of childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. His mother, his 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 stepdad sent his mother to a, a psychiatric hospital and she wasn't crazy. He she he just didn't he just wanted to get rid of her. So he sent her to a psychiatric hospital. And all of a sudden, Carrie uh, Archie Leach, which was his name, uh, Archie Leach suddenly didn't have a mom, and his dad was abusive, and and he had all kinds of trauma over this. And so then when he was old enough, maybe 10 or 12, he, he um, went to the circus, a local circus in London, and, and really liked it and said, hey, I could, I could do that. I could be, a, he was very athletic. So he said, I want to be a juggler. I want to be an acrobat. So he, he actually ran away with the circus to, to America, and to New York, and eventually went into vaudeville and eventually became created the, this this persona of Cary Grant, and that was very successful. He was one of the greatest actors of all time, doing comedy and everything. But he's underneath; he still had all of this trauma. Yeah. So he was. So everybody thought of him as this, you know, this person of Cary Grant is so friendly and has such a great sense of humor, so handsome. But that was all. That was all put on. That was all an act. And he, that wasn't who he was. He was really lonely and stingy and had all the, these other problems, depression and anxiety. So he met this psychiatrist, the psychiatrist in Hollywood in the mid 1950s, who was using LSD and all of these stars was, were coming to him to take psychedelic journeys for their problems. Probably a lot of actors and actresses, that's why they became actors and actresses because they had all this childhood trauma and, and they were good at expressing, you know, heavy stuff and the dark side. Meanwhile, they created this persona of, of a very, you know, so basically what Cary Grant did. So Cary, the bottom line is Cary Grant um, had to go through a hundred psychedelic journeys before he said, I'm finally where I'm more, where I want to be. I'm finally, wow. I feel loving towards everybody and myself. I'm so happy. I'm so um, I have so much equanimity now, and I'm so grateful for LSD. So what a story, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, so so that that just goes back to that some people may need dozens of journeys before they, they really it really dissolves their ego to the point where they can really see 
what's going on beneath the surface. But Cary Grant needed 100, and that's because they didn't have, he didn't have the tools that we have today. He didn't have meditation. I know more about that. He didn't have yoga. You know, that wasn't a thing back in the 1950s. So he didn't have all these tools that we have now. So presumably, you won't have to take 100 trips to, to really get down to the bottom of things. But so, so back to your question of microdosing, I think microdosing can start really, uh, especially if it's practiced regularly, microdosing, which is basically 150, um, about 150 milligrams to about 400 milligrams. That's my general range for microdosing. You can go, some people say up to a gram, but I don't, I don't, I think that's very distracting if you're getting up over 500 milligrams. Yeah. Now remember, mushrooms <laughs> can be very distracting. So the goal is microdosing is to take enough so that it's starting to work inside your nervous system and your brain to, to, to um, create more entropy at the same time uh, and, and loosen up and open up your thinking and, and possibilities in your nervous system. While at the same time, we know through research that microdosing psilocybin every day can have a, a really beneficial effect on our psyche uh, and our nervous system, our, pal our uh, pyramid, our palisade cells or pyramid cells and, and uh, our microglia. So the microglia are these immune cells that are traveling all around our brain and helping uh, increase the health of our, uh, of our um, nerve cells. All of these, you know, many nerve cells in our cortex. It can help increase the health, can reduce inflammation. It can help the nerve cells get access to more nutrition, to remove uh, waste products better, and so forth. So it by daily microdosing it, we, we think that we can really improve the health of our brain and longevity, reduce inflammation, and, and get better nerve neurological functioning. Uh, this, is, this is the hypothesis, though there are no clinical trials really to prove that, but there are a lot of animals, there are some animal studies and in vitro studies showing that these things are happening cool. in there. So that's, um, I found, all I can tell you is that I've been microdosing for over 40 years. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's been an amazing part of my, um, you know, process of, of gaining wisdom, gaining more more openness. Uh, and then I, of course, I underwent vigorous science training for 10 years at UC Berkeley. And that, that at the end of the day, people saying, well, what did that do for you? And I said, it, it helped me show that I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's what Socrates starts out with. So it's important. Yeah. Too. <laughs> so it, it, it gets rid of it. the best thing you can do doing 10 years of hard science training uh, day after day after day, every day, dreaming about it. When you get to your <laughs> end of the PhD, you're just, you're basically doing your thesis and you're just dreaming about it. It's basically, you get up in the morning, you're doing it until you fall asleep, you're dreaming about it and you get up the uh, next morning, you're doing it again. So what all that leads to is it gets rid of all of, it gets rid of your notions. It gets uh -huh. rid of the things you think you know. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's the advantage of a PhD and so hard science training. 
if it's good, if it's good mm -hmm. science training, and it is at Berkeley because mm -hmm. they're very supportive there. But that that's an unintended benefit that you know no one told me about. Hmm. So and that's what that's what psychedelics do too. They work great with 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 a really good um, holistic science training. Hmm. Like like Berkeley, they call call it integrative biology because it includes all parts of the study of life, basically. So, yeah. so psychedelics to me have been a life changer. It's been really uh, increased my interest in learning, growing wisdom and gaining wisdom in helping, you know, in giving back uh, and getting rid of, of this sense of, oh, I'm such a great person, you know, and blah, blah, blah. I mean, all of that, it gets rid of all of that, you know? When I first started out and I was writing books and speaking in front of hundreds of people, I was going, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a really great teacher. I'm blah, blah, blah. You know, I got rid of all of that stuff. It's so, because it, it all it does is separate you from, from what's really important. And that is giving back and love and loving and, and inspiring. So those, and, and we're besides, we're just channels anyway. We don't own it. We don't own any anything. Mm. We're just channels. We're brought. We're inspired by our teachers, and so I give so much gratitude to my teachers, mm -hmm. and then we just pass it on. So, so in that, so it's karma yoga basically, you know. And it's not it's not holding on to it. And any teacher out there that is like aggrandizing themselves and puffing themselves up, then forget it. To me, that's not teach. That's not the real teaching I'm looking for. Mm, for mm -hmm. sure. Just another uh, quick question came to mind when you were talking about microdosing psilocybin and how it's um, has beneficial effects for our nervous system and for, you know, the nerves in the brain. And you, it sounded like you could have been talking about lion's mane too, as like a nervous system tonic. And so I'm wondering um, if, if you've ever done like lion's mane and microdosing at the same time, and if that has increased effects or if there's been any studies on lion's mane and microdosing psilocybin. Well, you know, there's a category of, of uh, herbs or herb foods or drugs even that are called nootropics and mm -hmm. N-O-O-T-R-O-P-I-C-S, nootropics. Yeah. Uh, and supposedly lion's mane is a nootropic, obviously. So it, it has an effect on our cognition, our memory and so forth. But having said that, and, you know, I'd love to say, well, yeah, you can add lion's mane to psilocybin. Psilocybin, there are two great nootropics that are from a natural source that, that I'm in favor of. And, and one is, of course, um, psychedelics, uh, any natural psychedelics like psilocybin. And the other is, is matcha or matcha tea, which I, I feel like is, is a really great time-honored uh, nootropic. And, and it's fantastic because matcha contains, is micropowdered green tea, but it contain, it's a type of green tea that contains a lot of L-theanine. And L-theanine is a, is a very good uh, special amino acid that, uh, that calms us and also has a beneficial effect on our nervous system. So I, I drink I drink matcha and reishi pretty much every morning. That's my morning drink. Uh, and here's the matcha that I like right here. I'm not. I don't have any stock in the company, but this is the matcha that I that I drink. <laughs> okay, cool. 
Um, cool. yeah. Good, high quality, organic Japanese matcha. Awesome. So, so those those are, are you know those have clinical trials behind them, and and mm -hmm. we know that those really do have a profound effect. However, lion's mane is you know being called a nootropic, and uh, it and, and it does have in vivo and in vitro studies showing that it can increase uh, nerve growth factor production uh, in animal studies and in in vitro studies, test tubes. So so that's great. That's wonderful. That uh, had there are a couple of very small underpowered studies showing that using lion's mane extract can slightly improve our memory or improve our memory and our mood and, and help reduce anxiety and depression. But these are these studies, these three studies are very low powered. They included 30 people, 40 people, 50 people around that. Oh, area. that's not impressive. It's not very impressive. Yeah. So so and, and a lot of company and these are probably company sponsored. And probably, you know, and so this is this is made um, marketing mainly has made Lion's Mane about the number one selling medicinal mushroom in the country. So Lion's Mane, though, is a very valuable uh, mushroom, medicinal mushroom, for one thing. And, and in uh, Asia, it's very popular. People use Lion's, Lion's Mane extracts every day as a supplement, as a powder. I, I think it's a great um, extract it's a great product to take it one of the main things that we know that it does it protects your stomach from from uh, inflammation so it's probably the along with chaga also works the same way it really and you know at one point uh, tagamet and and anti-ulcer drugs were the number one selling pharmaceutical in the country I'm not sure if they still are but mm. but for a long time there for a decade that was the number one selling drug because we're all stressed out. We're yeah. all getting stomach inflammation and gastric ulcers and so mm -hmm. forth. Well, this is all, you know, all of this drugs to shut down our production of hydrochloric acid and try to suppress the stomach's function so that we don't get gastritis and heartburn and all of that stuff. So that's very, very common. Uh, but lion's mane is one of the main mushrooms that you can drink every day to help protect your stomach to reduce inflammation and along with chaga, but lion's mane for neurological benefits. It's all theoretical folks. I'm afraid it's pretty much. Oh, all, all right. All right. That's it, good. It's, um, you know, I would use it. I, you know, it's all an experiment. We know yeah. that it's healthy. We know that it's a good, it's a good mushroom to eat as a uh, food medicine. So there's no problem in, in eating it and, and using it regularly. And it may help, uh, at work as a nootropic, it may help support our nervous system and may help speed up nerve growth uh, and repair. It, it, and it's all based on animal studies and, and laboratory studies. Mm, that's good to know. Yeah. yeah. And the best way to extract, because because lion's mane to me seems a little different than a lot of medicinal mushrooms. It's a lot like fleshier, softer, softer. Um, is it is mushroom powder the best way to to use lion's mane too? In your opinion? Well, the probably the best way is to eat it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so tasty. So yeah. It's so so tasty and shiitake too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Or 
another really good way, you know, say if, say if you've got a good source of organic or you're growing she, organic shiitake mm-hmm. or lion's mane, easy to grow at home. Mm-hmm. You can get kits. You can, uh, in my book, we describe how to grow it. Or you can buy, like in the Bay Area here, we can go to Berkeley Bowl or Monterey Market and we can buy pounds of li- fresh organic lion's mane and, and, and anything else practically. So jealous uh, of your mushroom market. Yeah, <laughs> so incredible. Yeah, you know, I love it when I get to go there. Mm-hmm. Big aisles of just like all yes. these mushrooms, wood ear, uh, everything, and and then yeah. uh, chanterelle and and porcini mm-hmm. in season. They're all there, so it's so <laughs> exciting. Um, but uh, having said that, um, you know, one of the one of the great ways to capture the medicine of lion's mane and some of these fleshy. Uh, tender mushrooms, like probably the best four that I'm thinking of are lion's mane, shiitake, maitake, and uh, oyster, and wood ear and oyster. So those are the five (laughs) that are really tender, but they have a lot of medicine in them. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the way to do it is, you know, just add them to your food, of course, but a way to make a medicine that you can take teaspoons of it every morning is simply, uh, again, you you just uh, put it in your pressure cooker, or, or simmer it for a while till it's tender. Uh, and then you blend it up mm. with, with some water. You could put some other herbs in there if you want, or powders or mm. like astragalus or, oh, yeah. or yeah. licorice or whatever mm. herbs you want to put in there or green tea, whatever. And then you blend it up <clears throat> and then you make a slurry and you add one teaspoon per pint vitamin C and then stir that up in there. And that'll last in your refrigerator for weeks and weeks without awesome. fermenting and you can just take a teaspoon of that every day awesome so you're you've broken it down you've got the mushroom medicine right there it's in an easy assimilable form with those tender mushrooms you can't do that so much with reishi and and turkey tail but you you could you could you could make a just like a slurry add vitamin c if you want to preserve it very long term then add 25 percent ethanol that'll mm-hmm. preserve it for a long long time yeah. Uh, and That's and then if you idea. want to preserve it even longer, then just go ahead and make a powder out of it. Awesome. Yeah. Um, there is one other thing I wanted to ask about as far as like using mycelium or fruiting bodies. And that's like when I go out and harvest, well, when I go out and harvest reishi, I can't get the mycelium anyway. It's in the tree, you know, <laughs> but right. the, the, the mushroom has this shellac on it and it'll have like the brown spores on it. Um, in, in, are there aren't there more like terpenes and so on in that shellac than in the the like the white mycelium or is it the same thing not really worth bothering with it's it's just okay. no i mean when you're cooking up the whole mushroom you're going to get it all you're going to get the spores some right. people spell uh, sell crack spore products in asia you know it's oh. a thing in asia so they take this they collect the spores the billions of spores and get a powder and then they they expose it to microwave and crack open the spores and you get all these sterols and anti-inflammatory stuff mm-hmm. and triterpenes and so forth so that's a product that's a thing ah. in, in asia um, but uh you know when it comes to the little layer of spores on top sure capture that uh when you're making your medicine but the shellac uh you know i don't know that that's a that's kind of a resin that's a resin that the mushroom produces to make that shiny surface. I mean, yeah. that's, it's such a small amount of shellac there that it's not really going to be 
make a big difference in the medicine, whether you have it or not. Mm. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you for really diving into all of these concepts with us and telling us how you make the mushroom powders. And I really appreciate all of your insights and how you've incorporated your years of research and your years of being an herbalist and just everything to, I don't know, just help us to live healthy lives. And I've learned so much from you over the last few years from afar. And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and share this knowledge with our listeners. So this has been really awesome. And I, I appreciate you, Christopher. Thank you. Yeah, we did. That was kind of a deep dive. Well, maybe a little deeper than you wanted, but no, no, heck no. stories here and there. No, but. that's why that's, that's exactly what we're going for on this podcast. So you did great. Thank you so much again. And yeah, um enjoy the rest of your day well yeah. also, okay is there is there anything oh. you're um, excited about in the field are you offering any new courses oh yeah uh, part. soon or anything that people should be aware of yeah uh yes uh you can follow me on instagram and i've got i'm doing a lot of reels on instagram so i'm okay. i've got about a hunt over a hundred herb and mushroom reels cool so you can check that out christopher hobbs one uh, I'm on Facebook. I have a professional page, Dr. Christopher Hobbs. You can check out my posts there, which are sometimes science-based, just new breakthroughs and how, you know, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and then also I'm on YouTube mm-hmm. and I'm on Twitter. So you can follow me on any of those places. And I will be offering, uh, my next uh, series is going to be on anxiety and mood disorders. Oh, cool. So I'm, uh, we're working on that right now. That won't be available for another month or two, but watch for that. And you can also go to my website, ChristopherHobbs.com, and you can uh, add your name to my mailing list, and then I'll send you notices when I'm doing my class courses and so forth. So, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of resources on there, handouts, videos, yeah. and so forth on ChristopherHobbs.com. Uh, so that's my next series will be on Oh, and, and my medicinal mushroom series is available both on the shift network. It's a seven, seven week course on all aspects of medicinal mushrooms. And it's also on, well, it's on the shift network and it's also on the botanic wise, uh, platform, B O T A N I C botanic wise platform. And you can, you can, uh, stream those if you want as well. Awesome. Yeah. Great. So yeah, thanks again. Thanks again.